Hey there, and welcome to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Bonnie Gallum, and this week is all about being sued. Have you ever been sued? Because I have more than once. Uh, gosh, guys, there is no greater lesson than being sued. I know they say that, you know, there's no greater lesson than getting your feet wet, than, you know, jumping into the deep end. You can use whatever metaphor you want. But the reality is, is that lawsuits are a lesson that are still probably best avoided <laughs> if possible. And at this point in my career, guys, I've, I've really been on the receiving and giving end of lawsuits, not just for myself, but also for clients numerous times as well. So let me tell you, it's it's not enough to just have a quote unquote case. Any lawyer worth, you know, their hourly fee and that $7,500 initial litigation retainer will probably tell you that having a case is the easy part. Anyone can have a case. But having a provable case, a case that you could actually prove in court that's actually worth the effort and, of course, the money, the legal fees and the headache and the time is is really a whole different animal. And so in this episode, you're going to learn about what it takes to make a good case and the mistake I definitely made and I'm willing to bet you have too that leaves you seriously exposed. And that mistake is simply not getting things in writing. And by things, I mean everything, every single thing. I wish you could see my outline right now for this episode because everything is underlined like eight times and circled because it really is that critical to really, truly protecting yourself as a real estate investor, real estate entrepreneur. And believe it or not, this is a mistake that I find often hits experienced investors a little bit harder than newbies. And the reason why I think that is the case is because newbies aren't yet too comfortable. (laughs) They don't fall into this legal landmine because they're still learning to build trust with their partners and their contractors. And so they tend to tread a little bit more conservatively, I found. Um, They're maybe more likely to work with an attorney or to know that the legal stuff is something that they have to kind of get buttoned up from the get-go. And that doesn't always happen as time goes on. You you tend to get a little bit more relaxed as an investor. Um, But however, if you are a newer investor or real estate entrepreneur, as I like to say around these parts, then I want you to pay special attention because you still have the opportunity to stay the course and not make this mistake that I have made and a lot of other more experienced investors have made as you get more experience, not just in your portfolio size, but frankly, just time. Because this is one of those legal mistakes that people make when they get comfortable. Comfortable with partners or handymen or even tenants. And guys, it doesn't really matter what size you are in order for legal problems to pop up. You don't wait till you have 10 properties or five years in the business to to start having to worry about risks. They start from the second you start getting into this business. And so in this This lesson, this episode is so important to me because I made this mistake. (laughs) I made this mistake early on in my investing career and that mistake, uh, which honestly didn't even feel like a mistake at the time, which is why I think it's so scary, ended up in a six-figure lawsuit. And it was something that really, really rocked my world at the time. You have to understand that I am a goody two-shoes if we've never met in person. Um, And maybe even if you have, you've never, you know gotten to see that side of me. I, I, Because frankly, I've really resisted that label for a long time, but it's true. And I hate, uh, probably I'm terrified of, of getting in trouble. Like I almost got a detention once in high school and I cried so hard because I was convinced I was never going to get into any college. Yes, I know how ridiculous that sounds now. And the vice principal let me out of it. Uh, I also think probably having a mom who's also a principal at a different school, call the school and ream them out probably didn't hurt either. 
And okay, now I feel like you probably need a story about this non-detention real quick because I found sound like a Looney Tune as I'm saying this to myself on top of being a goody two-shoes. So long story short, before prom, our school hosted a drunk driving simulation outdoors to scare apparently the living daylights out of us and prevent us from drinking and driving that night after prom. It was outside in early April and it was freezing cold and they didn't let us get our coats from our lockers and we were dying. We were so, so cold. I live in New Jersey and in April it still gets cold here. A few of my friends and I were huddled up and kind of jumping and moving around to stay warm. We were rubbing our arms and we got spotted doing that and pulled out of the event for apparently not taking it seriously. Yes, me and a bunch of my AP chemistry nerd friends who I know for a fact did not have alcohol pass our lips for at least two more years when we started college got pulled into the vice principal's office to give us detentions for not taking the event seriously. And looking back, I can only laugh at it now, but at the time it was terrifying. And a time that felt just like that more recently, albeit with far less tears, was when we got served with a complaint for the first time and that lawsuit hinged on a writing or really lack thereof. And if you want to hear more details about this time that I got sued, I'm going to go into a lot more um, nitty gritty in my upcoming workshop that I'm hosting in a few weeks. I'm hosting it three times in January, and I've never done this workshop before, but it's come to me based off of hearing so much from you, my listeners, my email community, and I realize that there's so much misunderstanding and misleading information just being circulated uh, by other investors and even other attorneys through our industry. And I say enough, enough. (laughs) So in the workshop together, we will bust four big legal myths that are holding investors like you back from maximizing their net worth. And a lot of this realization came to me through getting sued myself. And so you'll learn one, the huge mistake you're making that's holding you back from increasing your net worth and keeping you from increasing that annual bottom line. And the hint is I made it too. The legal principles you've got to got to understand and implement, of course, before you onboard your next tenant or property, the most effective way to use legal tools to stop legal problems in their tracks and repel problematic tenants and contractors in the first place, plus the proven way to stand out as the investor that people actually do want to work with, the most important tool you need to keep your investing from turning into a 24-7 job, and it's not just throwing your phone across the room. or sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich. And finally, the kicker, the main reason, guys, that most investors fail to create generational wealth and how to avoid this major pitfall yourself, because it's not enough to just hashtag generational wealth and own a bunch of properties. So we'll talk about that more in the workshop as well. Plus, at the end, you'll be invited to join my signature course, Landlord Law School, with limited time, extra, extra bonuses valued over $1,000. Yes, it's going to be good. Space is limited thanks to technology, so make sure you save your seat. There will be a limited time replay available for registrants, but you will want to join me live because at the end, there will be a live Q&A session to answer your questions about the workshop. The workshops themselves will be held on January 12th and 13th, and you can register at my website at bonniegallum.com forward slash workshop or using the link right there in your podcast player. Now, let's get into the meat of this week's episode because it is so important, so freaking important. And when real estate investors get cozy or comfortable with someone, really anyone in their investing business, be it you know a realtor or a tenant or a contractor or even your partner, you sometimes let the formalities start slipping away. And let's face it, it it's a time saver. You, it comes 
with this, you know, lure of ease. Like that's why you build trust is so you don't have to keep these formalities over and over again. But when you start doing that, you leave the risk of misinterpretation, crossed wires, misunderstandings, and ultimately disagreements. And that's why I preach so often about getting things in writing. Why? Because when things go wrong, your writings are your evidence. They are the proof you'll need to settle or dismiss a case or even win a case against someone else. It's not enough from a legal standpoint just to write, you know, a really compelling story and plead some sob story to a judge. You have got to back it up with evidence, evidence that is admissible for a judge. And if you don't have the evidence, well, then you're probably in one of two situation guides. Either one, you don't have a good case, and that can be a really tough pill to swallow because, what that looks like is calling a bunch of attorneys, paying their consult fees for each one to tell you you don't really have a case worth pursuing. And it doesn't matter how much you want to go after someone or how much you were actually hurt by them. A good litigator will tell you when you've got a losing battle on your hands. And it's frankly not worth fighting it out in court and wasting a bunch of more money on legal fees to get you a losing decision. Then again, I'll warn you, there are plenty of lawyers out there who will happily just take your money and file suit and defend you no matter what the odds are because they got bills to pay. And so be careful when you are looking for lawyers. Uh, Option two, though, is, you know, beyond just not having a case is that you just have a really big mess on your hands because you're going to have to piece it together in a way that isn't hearsay. And it's like, let me give you this metaphor. It's like trying to complete a thousand piece puzzle with 250 pieces and hoping someone can figure out what the final image was supposed to be. Judges and juries are human and that can be really, really hard for them to do. And what we want their job to be is really, really easy. And these are situations where settling is usually in your best interest because going to court is such a risk. But these are problems that are not just going to go away. Something needs to happen. There needs to be a resolution to this. And even though you don't have a bad case, you have a really weak case. And perhaps both sides do, but not so much that, you know, they're willing to just walk away. Now, writings are your evidence, like I said, but you don't just want any evidence. You want good evidence, right? And I've shared on my Instagram about, you know, what I call the scale of kind of crappy evidence to really good evidence. And crappy evidence is like what we, what someone would say is not just a writing, but even things like text messages. (laughs) Why? Because they're super hard to enter into evidence. If you think screenshots are cut, it think again, because any half decent attorney can throw that out with their eyeballs closed. It takes months, like the better part of a year, not like a month or two, to get a response back from a cell phone provider to show the communication in a way that a judge can actually accept. And guess what's racking up in that time? Your legal fees. And so from an evidentiary standpoint, nothing beats good old fashioned paper. Even better is paper with a signature. And even better than that is paper signed and notarized. Now, don't forget, I'm a landlord too, guys. And so You always have to balance efficiency and operations with protecting yourself. I'm not looking for a notarized certified mail communication from my tenants every time they tell me that there's a burnt out light bulb. But if there is something where it could end up in court, like you've got this spidey sense that a problem is brewing or something's about to blow up, then perhaps getting that cash for keys agreement, you know, notarized, or perhaps, you know, if you're trying to settle something with a partner, getting that notarized, spending 10 bucks at UPS is probably worth the rigmarole. But beyond just the format of the writing, you got to have the key terms. Contracts are your evidence 
And again, you want good evidence. So what makes good evidence? We don't know what makes not so good evidence, but what makes good evidence is documents that are clear, that are not contradictory, and an actual recitation of what was agreed upon. You don't want to try to pull any fast ones by pulling some stuff in, you know, putting some stuff in writing, but that stuff that you kind of maybe don't want to document in writing, shall we say, is handled under the table. But what, what lawyers, what we as lawyers really, say is called the quote-unquote entire agreement, it should be contained all together. We don't want to have like the thing that you would be okay with your judge or your grandma seeing on paper, and then, you know, a wink, wink, nod, nod, that's just maintained orally, because oral contracts are just as valid and binding as written contracts are. Um, and written contracts may or may not supersede them. Uh, that That's something I go into a little bit deeper inside of Landlord Law School. But what I have seen rampantly, daily, <laughs> inside the investor community is what I call Frankenstein contracts, where investors are copying and pasting a bunch of language from random contracts they found or borrowed, or maybe they downloaded something from LegalZoom and they added some stuff to it. And maybe it has contradictory terms or language that's just straight up illegal in their state or it's missing key terms that may be necessary to even make it enforceable in the first place. Y'all, if you have a contract or even a writing more generally, you want it to be enforceable. Like that's the very least baseline, total baseline. And I mean, writings generally because a big area I see this pop up in is eviction notices. Uh, for example, that that's a writing. And so often landlords will do something like text a tenant that they aren't renewing or they need to do X, Y, and Z, and it's totally unenforceable. Uh, and so they get to eviction court, they're ready to go, they finally have their day in court, and the judge asks for you know proof of the notice, and when they show it, the whole case gets thrown out because it's insufficient. And now they have the miserable experience of starting the whole process over from day one. Miserable. You don't want that to be you. And so form and format and content and the delivery method all really matter. So besides tenants, though, another area where I see investors slip up with the writings is with their contractors. Gosh, especially if those contractors are also their partners on the deal. But you can go back and listen to episode 28, which is all about partnerships, because I think most investors seriously, seriously underestimate the amount of writings there needs to be between themselves and their contractors. In law school, I think I have like four or five contract templates just dealing with contractors. And the problem is, is that often the contractors themselves don't present these documents and the investors don't know what needs to be there and they don't know to push for more. And I think, you know, nine times out of 10, what contractors are presenting is like a carbon paper handwritten invoice that outlines, outlines like roughly what the scope of the work is at the top and then a price at the bottom. And golly, Miss Molly, if I could have warned 25-year-old Bonnie that that was not enough, then I'd do it. But I can't. And so I'm warning you all, my listeners, now. Contractors should be sending and signing invoices and scopes of work and contracts and lien releases and change orders. And that's why I put all of those templates inside of Landlord Law School, because the reality is that the contractors aren't laying this one on the table themselves, but they aren't the only ones with skin in the game. You do too. You can set the terms if they don't or negotiate the terms if they do. And I'll tell you, my students have had success getting contractors to sign these agreements happily. And you know why? It's because the contractors know they're better protected this way too. They probably just never invested in their own contracts and they didn't know what they didn't know. But not you, friend, not you. 
because now you know that you gotta gotta get this stuff in writing and it can sound silly or maybe even a little bit tedious i hear you but it has to get done you now know that these writings are your evidence if things go wrong and you know from last week's episode that just having an LLC is not going to save your tokus. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go back after this one and give it a listen because you don't want to just have any writing and you don't want to rest on your laurels or your LLC. It should, it being your writing, should be one that covers the key terms. And finally, because they're walking, talking, lawsuit time bombs, you need to be prepared to have the writings in place with your contractors. It can't just be the invoice. And so, guys, if you like this episode, please let me know by leaving me a comment or a five-star review on your podcast player because now you know exactly why it's so important to get everything in writing, whether it's with your partner or your contractor or your tenants. But you might be wondering how this all ties into a big-picture legal strategy, and I've got you covered. My upcoming free myth-busting workshop was designed to help you figure that out. And so if you haven't already, you can register for that workshop at bonniegallum.com forward slash workshop. That is it for this week. Next week, we will be chatting about when you should be putting your asset protection in place. Gosh, if I had a penny for every time I got asked this question, um, I'd have a lot more real estate. And I will be answering that question for you once and for all next week right here on the podcast. Until then, I'll be hanging out in the Good Bones Facebook group. See you here next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Good Bones Real Estate Investing Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast player to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes. Now this lawyer's got to drop the fine print real quick. This podcast is educational and not intended to be legal tax or investing advice for you. Please speak with a local professional for specific advice unique to you and your situation. That's it for this episode. Bye for now.